And we are recording. What up, what up? Welcome to Mind Your Hives Beekeeping Podcast. Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, Greg Lehman. I am here with my beautiful wife, Kara Jo. Hello, hello. Uh, and this is, let's see, it's February 3rd, 4th. So February 4th. This is the first episode we have recorded in 2023. We released one, I think, but we had recorded that back in December. So yeah, we were late on that one. Yeah, it's all right. I'm not going to say happy new year. It's just too late. Happy new year. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but yeah, we did a back in, I think October, we did kind of a recap of the year and we talked about some lessons that we learned and we kind of gave an overview of what we saw in our hives and honey production and stuff like that. So we're not going to get into that today, but we have been just kind of uh, bookmarking a whole bunch of cute questions that have been sent into us or asked to asked us at meetings or whatever um, that we didn't either we didn't answer or we didn't talk about. Um, and we're just going to kind of go roll through a Q and a, we did it in January last year. So I thought that'd be a cool episode. Yeah. There's some fun ones in here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we might as well just roll right into it. Oh, wait, I got a beer. Oh yeah. Let's do that thing. Um, so if anybody follows our Instagram, so Kara Joe B farm, Kara with a K Joe J O, um, you saw that we went over to visit our friends at plan B brewery few weeks ago they're a farm brewery in poughkeepsie new york they um they grow most of the ingredients that they use um they even forage yeast from a uh from a, their beehives that they use in their saisons and this beer is oh my god Kara, remember um rose hill farm Rose Hill Farm. So, oh, is that that cidery place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the years we were in... I think a, it was last year, wasn't it? Was it last year? Yeah, we were around Hudson, New York. We yeah. went there maybe for Thanksgiving or around Christmas. We just like rented an Airbnb. Um, I think we... No, we didn't. Plan B was closed. But we um, we went to, we went to Suarez and got beer. and Yeah, just we love that area yeah, of New York. Best. Hudson Valley is so good. Um, but like literally down the road from our Airbnb was this Rose Hill cider, Rose Hill cidery. And we we're like, um, I don't like, know. We'll go check it out. Not like that into cider, but like, all right, it looks pretty, it looks beautiful. And then we drove up and we're like blown away. Yeah. It was awesome. It really was. And the drinks be, they like had some beer, they had some cider, they yeah. had all kinds of things. It was good. They had that graph that was a collab yeah. with plan B. So, um, so this plan B beer is, um, a collab they did with Rose Hill. So this is a barn beer with peaches, plums, and cherries, hundred percent New York ingredient, wild ale aged in Oak fermented with their house culture and then re-fermented on a variety of Rose Hill farms, peaches, plums, and a tiny bit of cherries batch four. Uh, so that's really cool. That's like, yeah, cheers. All these things combining. Let's have some. I guarantee this is beautiful. I could smell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, man, that's so good. And it is really subtle, though. That's like it's very much their barn beer. beer. It's very, very much like their barn beer, but then just like a little bit of subtle fruity notes coming through, like peaches especially. Oh, man, this is a good beer. Yeah, I like fruity. Not, I, no, I was going to say I like fruity beer, but that is not true. <laughs> you like fruity saisons. Yeah. F- but not like fruit puree saison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smoothie beers. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, all right. So like, I wrote down some of the questions that I think make more sense for me to ask you, Kara. And you wrote down some of the questions that make more sense to ask me. Yeah. So I'll start. You want to start? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. We got this question on Instagram from Gina. Uh, it's a good one. Do you have any tips on saving money when expanding your bee yard? Oh, yeah. I remember this. Greg's um, like the wizard of this. I don't know. So you have a lot of experience with it. Yeah. So a lot of it for me is like what I can do myself. So back when we first got hives, I made them myself because the cost of the wood was less expensive. So it was easier for me to cheaper for me to buy the wood, cut it up, you know, use a router, you know, join it and boom, that is not the case now. It's actually cheaper for us to buy bulk equipment, hive boxes unassembled in bulk quantities than it is if I, just for the wood itself. So I don't know that you shop around a little bit really. And I think the biggest thing, which kind of goes for like the, the beekeepers off season starts at the, you know, starts like October, November. And I think if you, your best bet is to be like looking at prices as early as you can shopping around as early as you, as you can. Don't wait until like March, October or well, March, October. Don't wait, wait until March, <laughs> April. Um, because it's the big, then it's the beginning of the season. You're you need to do this in the late time. season and off season. Um, and it's probably a little late now, but I know that a lot of places will bump their prices up, you know, the next year. So I, I, we bought all of our stuff in November, December. We bought like so much hundred more boxes and a thousand more frames and yeah. that, that we're assembling all a year primarily doing it, but yeah. I'm open some. Yeah, the other day we had a nice little um, warm, not, it's funny saying nice warm day. Like, I don't it was want like it to be. 50 degrees. Yeah. It wasn't warm, but it was, you could be outside. Yeah, and the bees were and, flying around wasting energy, which I hate to see. And they, and you could paint and the paint could yeah. dry. So we assembled a bunch of boxes. Kara painted them. We had a nice little, like, assembly line going. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. When we first started coming up, we, our first teacher was like, don't paint your boxes. It's the worst thing ever. It's so terrible to paint your boxes. So we didn't. We wax dipped or we bought, you bought cedar, didn't you? Like, yeah, I got a good deal on cedar once. And yeah. Made, and those boxes rule. We still have those boxes. Okay. Um, and then we started painting and we're like, first of all, this is not hard or annoying really at all. Now, if you have access to wax dipping, I mean, it will make the woodenware last longer. Like, it's a pretty badass process as far as like preserving that wood in For its sure. entirety, but also, not everybody has access to wax dipping. And also one type of wood that we used, we wax dip it and the wood was so it, heavy in the, so in the heavy. boxes. It must have been really porous wood because all the, you know, the, the resin and wax gets in and that's what seals all up yeah. the boxes, in. but they were so heavy. I mean, it's they still not are. even. It's not even like I'm saying anti wax dipping. I'm just saying not anti painting. Yeah, painting is no big deal at all. Stack the boxes all, all on top of each other. Get a paint roller, prime them with an you know an indoor outdoor primer. Uh, Do not paint the inside of your boxes. People have done that before. People <laughs> have done that before. You're just painting the outside of the boxes. <laughs> You usually want to like rough up the inside of the wood. It's good for them. Yeah. And then we have people like spray paint them colorfully. Yeah, when, when people come visit, we're like, hey, you want to spray paint some bee boxes? Like, hell yeah. Or and we give them like my friend just the other day was like, can I bring one of them home and have my daughters paint them? I'm like, do you use outdoor paint? And yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, great. Like, please do that. Take 10 of them. Please? <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah. so yeah, just late season searching for prices, finding the best price that makes sense. You know, make sure you're in a club, make sure you're part of beekeeping community. Maybe you can, you know, pull resources and do some bulk buys. Um, also, I feel like there's something called bee karma out there. And when you put yourself out there and you help other people, things come back to you. And I've seen it happen a lot in our lives where just, you know, you put yourself out there and all of a sudden somebody's like, Hey, I got extra woodenware. I got all these extra frames. You know, do you want, and, you know, we bought them, but like for super cheap and we've been given stuff like, yeah, get involved and a lot of things will come your way. And you build, the, I build all the lids, yeah. the, I, migratory covers. So that's really, really cheaper to buy the wood and do yourself. All you need is like um, a hand circular saw thing and maybe like a chop saw, but it doesn't take a ton of equipment. And one piece of plywood makes six lids, six uh, migratory covers. And you um, even make... And I make bottom boards. They're right. super easy to make. And then the inner covers when we're feeding and you make shims yeah. for like the fondant and yeah, insulation. The, frames obviously doesn't make sense. That would take just so long to individually make the wood, the frame wood. And oh, it's not expensive. And it's too expensive to buy wood to make bee boxes right now. So I buy those in bulk. Remember when we used to hammer nail in the living oh, room the frames together? <laughs> so that's worth mentioning. Like, you know, we have a lot of hives at this point where it just doesn't make sense to put frames together using nail and hammer. Like, so when you are buying things unassembled, you might need some equipment. We have this nail gun. We, you know, use wood glue in this nail gun. But, oh, my God, we used to just, like, sit around the fire in the wintertime and just at night I would just hammer frames together or i would be so sleeping long. and you'd be like tap 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh my god whatever um all right next one at the silva dollars it's my first year coming out of the winter with bees what advice do you have oh man well i don't know don't count your chickens before your eggs hatch right yeah it's only february beginning yeah. um i mean congrats obviously getting them this long to survive i say it all the time I think bees that survive past January tend to have shown that they're going to survive and not die because of disease, um, which means the sole thing you need to make sure they have is food. So if you have bees alive right now, um, just make sure they have food. We keep emergency funded on top that we can monitor to see if they've eaten. Dude, one of the hives outside I checked oh, today. This is so awful. The lid blew off in this crazy windstorm last night. And I found and it, it got down the, to seven degrees last night and it was like a strong hive. It was a strong, well, that, it's like, it was a strong hive. They might've survived. It was, um, I had an extra box on of honey. So they actually have four mediums on that hive and then a shim. Like, I don't know. They, who knows? I I just, I put them back together, put a cinder block on top. And if they survive this, that is so badass. Yeah. That, I mean, I could see it, but, you know, also that would be so sad if that oh, was how we lost I really, it. I know. Usually I ratchet strap everybody down, but it's like hasn't made sense. But that one, it, it was a little taller. Here. And it was a little taller because yeah. it had an extra box on it. So I think the wind really. Ugh, so I was, I was like, we'll wait, what? Out. Wait, what? That doesn't have a that doesn't have a top. What the hell? Yeah, yeah. that sucks. Anyway. Um, all right. So don't count your chickens for your eggs hatch. But. um he wanted advice on hives uh, coming out of winter. Okay. Yeah. Don't get too greedy. Don't go like as soon as the weather turns warm, first week of April, you're like, oh, weather's warm. Let's split the hives because now I, I want to split early and have two hives. Don't do that. I see it happen with people. They're like, 
I got bees surviving, so I'm going to split them. They don't. They they worry so much about swarms happening that they want to split their hives early, so then you you know mitigate the chance, limit the chance of uh, of swarming. But if you split too early, a cold snap happens. They don't have access to food. They're not going to lay. There's they're either the queen's not going to get mated right, or um, they're not going to have access to food, or they're not going to have enough of a, a population to stay warm. Or they could like fall subject to European foul brood because so that's they're not the thi- strong enough. Yeah. yeah, so when you don't have the volume, the numbers, the population high enough, that's when disease can set in and you're going to see all kinds of different things. Snot brood, bald brood, um, European foul brood yeah. pops up big time. Yeah, I mean, other things can take control. So you can split, just don't split too don't early. Don't split too early. So that's big piece of advice. Don't split too early. Check every seven to 10 days for swarm cells once that war- really warm happens. Um, and you just see that they're bringing in a ton. Flowers are starting to bloom. Um, swarm. You start hearing about swarms in the bee community. Look under. We just f- look under the boxes. We f- we go into that brood nest. We flip, the, flip them upside down and we look to see if any swarm cells are hanging. And we do it every seven, ten days max. Um, once we start seeing, once we see uncapped swarm cell, we know, sweet, let's make a split. Let's find that queen and let's make a split. Um, I don't know. Do you, you have any thoughts I mean, on early spring? Um, not off the top of my head, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I covered it all. <laughs> I think you nailed it. But yeah, good luck. Congrats. Yeah, that's what, remember our first bee mentor was like, if you come out of spring, first thing you're going to do, pop a bottle of champagne, cheers (laughs) yourself, congratulations, and then get to work. You're up on the next one. Oh, all right, cool. Um, This came in from D. Fontania. Um, Do you all use lights in your chicken coop? Chicken question. Chicken question. So I think she's referring to wintertime people put a light like an artificial light source, not for heat, but a light in their coop for... To encourage egg laying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, we do not use a light in our coop um, because chickens... That's a beautiful sound. Chickens lay eggs according to sunlight because they lay eggs every 25 hours. So um, they're very susceptible to just like the sun and... Um, even just since the solstice, we've been seeing a pretty quick uptick in egg yeah, oh yeah. Like within a week of days becoming longer, a bunch of our chickens that were like, hey, we're taking a break. Boom, they're back. And like a lot of people are putting on social media, like I changed your food and this is what's happening like right around this time. And you're like, I think it might just be the sun. Yeah, it's but, natural. Um, so it's natural for them to take a break. I mean, have you ever seen a chicken lay an egg? It looks like it's an awful experience and they do it every day <laughs> it's so it's nuts man you and see it, you're like oh i'm sorry you're going through that and just like the resources that they need to be able to do that is taxing they deserve a break it's nature's way of giving them a break yeah they evolved to get a break in the winter give them that break don't go like you know what we're just gonna put our foot on your neck and make you work harder yeah so we just let them do their thing and eat less eggs in the winter i i think that relates to in a way to beekeeping too like all right we've got these chickens you know they're not in a natural environment yes we try to let them pasture as much as possible um 
but there it's we have them in a coop we're not keeping them naturally just like with bees like we try to be as natural as possible with our bees but they're in man-made wooden boxes and you know they're being checked on all the time and it's not a and they're not a native species it's not a natural thing but we have to factor in what their natural tendencies are and we have to work with it so the natural tendency of this chicken is that their body gets a recover some recovery time and a break in this winter let's let them have it just like with bees i don't know you know, we wait to make splits once we see swarm cells because they're naturally trying to split themselves. And it's like, cool. This they're is, ready at that point. They're telling us they are ready. So let's do it then. It's a little more natural than let's force a split and just do a straight up walk away and go, all right, now it's time for you to make bees, even though you weren't telling us you're ready to. Yeah. Um, and just, I think, understanding natural tendencies and learning about biology of chickens, biology of bees in these ways can allow us to make better decisions that are for the interest of the animal. Because we're not humanizing them. We're actually understanding them for who they are and where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I get it. A lot of you, it's livestock. It's, you know, you're relying on those eggs and maybe you view them a little bit differently than us. You know, they're chickens first to us. They're egg providers second. So, And there's only two of us, so. Yeah. I mean, we still were getting three or four eggs out of the 11 chickens or like two or three eggs in the deep, deep winter. And we're back up to like six, seven eggs now. Also, if you want soon to be like 11 eggs a day, if you want more eggs in the winter, buy the breeds that are more hardy chicken layers. I mean, not chicken layers. Well, chicken layers, but egg layers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Hampshire, more northern chickens. New Hampshire, Rhode Island Reds. Yeah. All right. uh, This comes in from at Haley Storm. How do you administer oxalic acid at a remote spot? So, um, Actually, our, our main apiary is in a spot that we can't run electric to. So I'm, I'm assuming this person's talking about oxalic vaporization. So like we have an electric, we posted some pictures and stuff on social media, but we have a, an electric vaporizer, heats up to 500 degrees, it vaporizes the oxalic acid, and that's how we administer. Um, we run that off of a small generator. Generators are expensive though. Like I think legitimately that generator probably costs 300 bucks and it's awesome. Westinghouse, like it's a really compact, really good unit. I really, really like it. Um, but it's expensive. There are cheaper ways if you can, you can bring out a car battery and use a car battery for vaporizers. Um, there's like cables that can hook to your car that um transfer, so you can attach it to a car battery and it switches over and it'll be you know DC power, so you can use a plug. Um, they just somebody just came out with a, an adapter that works with these vapor guns that you hook an 18 volt lithium, you know, DeWalt um, or like Ryobi, like yeah, yeah, uh, cordless drill battery too, which is awesome. I have not used them yet, so I can't speak on it, but that is amazing. Um, yeah, and then obviously, you know, there's oxalic drips. There's things that aren't that don't require any electric at all, for sure. But yeah. We hook it up. The generator sits in the front of the apiary. We have an extension cord that covers the whole area. No big deal at all. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Um, okay. This is a fun one. I like this one. At Tower of Chad, do you have any favorite bee folklore? <laughs> We've talked about the one. I think it made fun of the queen for it. But uh, when a beekeeper passes away, there's this folklore, this kind of... 
I don't know, whatever type of story about how you should, um, you should sit with the bees. You should introduce yourself. You should tell the bees what happened to their previous owner and introduce yourself and you cover them with a, you drape a, a sheet over top of them and you like knock on the hive. Um, there's even a, I have it in my phone. Yeah. There's different, there's different cultures. This all came from a poem in like 1858 called telling the bees. It was this new England Quaker named John Greenleaf Whittier. And so this idea came from him and then all these other different places came up with like different ways to do it. Yeah. So one Northern European song that you would sing to the bees after you drape a black cloth over them is honeybees, honeybees, hear what I say. Your master, poor soul has passed away. His sorrowful wife begs of you to stay gathering honey for many a day. Bees in the garden. Hear what I say. Your master, poor soul has passed away. Okay, now do that again, but sing it this time. <laughs> <laughs> that was singing for me. Um, that was slam poetry. Oh, Greg. okay. Don't worry about it. I felt it. Uh, remember you used to judge slam poetry? Kind oh, of yeah. I awesome. love slam poetry. So it's funny that you said that that's from, would you say, Northern Europe? Northern yeah. Europe. So if we go back even further before this 1858 poem. So you're the one that introduced this to me after you read The Honey Bus. Yeah, it's so sad. It's like one of my favorite books. Um, I won't tell you what happens, but she introduced me to that whole idea. What's her name? Oh, shoot. Meredith May, I think. Nice. Um, so there's like a Celtic, in Celtic mythology, if you see, if you saw a bee, I don't know if it was specifically a honeybee, but if you saw a bee after someone dies, it signifies that their soul was leaving their body. So they were already like bees and death were already connected. So. People say like that may have been may have been the inspiration for it. Um, one of my favorite bee folklores hold also. On, hold on, before we get into uh, yours, because I yes. I really this just brought up a thought for me. We we're just talking about like natural beekeeping and just you know you always see not you always. I feel like there's so many legends that have been passed down and, and lore that has been passed down that's rooted in something that is. It's the easiest way to to say what the best thing you should do, right? And all right, think about this. So bees recognize pheromones. Bees can recognize their beekeepers and they can get used to their beekeepers and be more gentle with their beekeepers because they recognize their pheromones. Okay. So you, a beekeeper passes away a new beekeeper is about to take over. What is the most logical way to introduce them to your pheromones? You drape a sheet over there, a sheet of yours over their hive. They're Surrounded by those pheromones, you knock on that hive. They come out when you knock on a beehive. They come out and go, yo, dog, who's knocking? They get introduced to your pheromone. You sit there with them in a calm manner. You're not introducing yourself to them by ripping apart right. their house. That's a good point. And, uh, and you do it for each hive. So it, if yeah. there's 100 hives, you have to do it 100 times. So yeah. like that logically makes sense that that would help a new beekeeper transition into working with in a new apiary. Hmm. But it's also, you know, a little sensationalized as being this like whimsical tradition. Well, like a lot of beekeeping books are very, and like beekeeping, I think from a lot of people is very um, romanticized. Like farming is very romanticized. And then you start <laughs> doing it and you're like, this is not <laughs> teaching. Is teaching romanticized? I don't know. Kids are always like, I want to grow up to be a teacher. Uh, I don't think anybody says that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like 
it is that. So I think, you know, there's yeah. these like romantic stories about it. Um, so there's this one. Yeah. What's your favorite folklore? Cause it's, you're a uh, literature, English teacher. Well, that, that, the one you just told, I really like, but well, I stole your favorite. You one. did steal it. You asked or me we share it. We share it. Um, Okay, so this is Roman mythology. The Jupiter is the Roman sky god, and he oversees the humans. Nice. And so one day, the queen bee, a queen bee, flies up to Mount Olympus, and she brings Jupiter honey. And he's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'll, whatever you want, just ask me for what you want, and you can have it. And so this queen bee says, all right. Give bees a stinger so they can sting humans that come to try to steal the honey and we can protect ourselves and protect our honey crop from them. And Jupiter's like appalled and he's so disappointed by this. And he's like, oh man, this is what you asked for? Like, this is nasty. Yeah, he's like, I thought you were going to ask for some flowers. Yeah. And because he loves the humans because he oversees them. But he can't take back his word. He already told the queen. Did Roman gods love humans? I feel like Jupiter did. Okay. Jupiter was like, apparently. Um, So he already had told her, okay, I'll give you what you want. So he says, all right, you can have stingers, but uh, when you sting, you're the one that's going to die. Damn. Yeah. So like the moral of the story is you ask for bad stuff. You want to wish evil upon Others, you're going to get it back on you. That's good. But that's the story of how the honeybee got its stinger. It's a lesson inside of a lesson inside of a lesson. It's like <sighs> Aesop. I think it is an Aesop fable, actually. I don't even know. Aesop fables involved Roman gods? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Ron Burgundy? All right, next question. <laughs> Hank Danforth asks, why should I trust you? <laughs> uh, Hank. Nobody said you should. Yeah, legitimately, that's my response. I'm not telling you to trust us. I'm telling you that if you want to be a successful beekeeper, you should read as much as you can, attend classes, attend meetings with speakers, and listen to podcasts, and you should take all that information, and you should compartmentalize it and figure out what makes the most sense for you. In your situation. And I, in your like personality. Yeah, but when beekeepers... like. When they just want black and white, like, let me imitate somebody, they're never going to be successful. You need to, it's such a fluid art. I mean, it's like, you can't just try to follow a manual. You have to react and be proactive in ways. And That's like asking the manual for life. Yeah. Like, it doesn't exist. So. And we also never talk about things we don't, we haven't experience we're just talking about our experience yeah it's like this is what we've done this is why we did do it this way this is why we stopped doing it this way like that's how we are but like i don't care if you trust me or not (laughs) (laughs) it's remember uh, it is all is a weird thing to bring up but like all right um i won't listen to anything coming out of the university of florida when it comes to research science anymore because they got caught being bribed by the giant corporation that makes Roundup called Monsanto. Literally, they're like chair of some agriculture department. I mean, you look it up yourself and read about it. Got caught being getting paid by Monsanto, like not even a crazy amount of money. Uh, and literally this dude, his response, his, his communication with Monsanto was, 
what do you want these studies to say? Did that guy get fired? Do you know? I, 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 I'm annoyed enough about it. As much as I read about it, I never saw University of Florida really respond in a manner that made me say, I'll trust them again. And I'm, I listen, I will see studies and I listen to certain podcasts that have people that are interviewed and it's, it's funded by university of Florida and it's very skewed towards like, yeah, no pesticides. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I think they're fine. They're good. You know, the studies aren't out, aren't conclusive on it. And then I go to somewhere else like Cornell university that literally is like, here is the exact science on what neonicotinoids are doing to queen bees. And they are shrinking their, whatever gl that gland is that uh, the bees can make royal honey with like the offspring of the queens that have been introduced in neonicotinoids are producing 25% less of the whatever gland. And you're like, there's the science. There it is right there. Right. Period. And then you have this other place coming out with science. It's like, well, we're not debunking that, but we're just saying it's not conclusive enough. And you're like, oh yeah, you were the same ones that were getting uh, bribed and for how long and what else are they doing that we don't know about? So like, yeah, don't trust every resource. Look into them a little bit or. Yeah, where's the money? Follow the money. Follow the money. We're doing this for free, so. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no money. Well, I teach my students, I learned this in yoga teacher training and I teach my students this, is that learning comes from four different places. So 25% of your learning comes from a teacher. 25% of your learning comes from self-study, reading, watching, listening to podcasts, going to meetings. 25% uh, is from peer learning, which I guess like that kind of overlaps too. And then 25% comes from experience. So you put that all together. You're not just, and I feel like too many people these days are like, oh, he said it. It must be true. Yeah, right. I read the headline. Yeah. So, you know, it's a collaborative effort and 50% of it comes from you doing work you doing the work and so yeah there you go hank trust us don't um okay here's a beer question from rich christie what's your favorite beer style i love pumpkin beers Ew. gross rich christie <laughs> uh my favorite beer style is not pumpkin beer um uh, i mean i've had pumpkin beer it's fine but it's definitely not my thing yeah, whatever. When you were like 18 years old and you're like, let's <laughs> drink pumpkin beers. Yeah, exactly. Well, they definitely were not pumpkin beers when I was 18. No? No. Oh, when I was 18, there were. Maybe. Um. Yeah, you're, <laughs> uh, you're about to be two years older than me for like a month, a couple months. Looking good. Care just skincare. <laughs> um, my favorite style of beer is a Saison. Um, and Saison is, look, it's like not even a style of beer. It's like a, I don't know. Like is it a, a process? It's like a tradition of beer. So, I mean, Saison means season in French. Saison originated in uh, southern Belgium. So, I guess that's like on the French border. And it was literally at the end of, of autumn going in, into the winter, they would have extra ingredients from farming and they would put those in a vat and add water. And boom, next thing you know, that ferments in the farmhouse a.k.a. Saison is farmhouse ale. And then come springtime, the migrant workers would come back to work the fields, and boom, there was Saison, and that's what they would drink for nourishment. I mean, you know, it was like a low-alcohol 
carbohydrate ri- carbohydrate rich drink, but also put their ass to sleep at night. Huh, that makes sense because like Forest in Maine puts so many different like farm like types of fennel. Gra- types of grain the fennel and, one and <laughs> we did use fennel That's and like funny. different herbs and stuff and fruits, right? Yeah, big yeah. time. And those are all in the in saisons. So is it a is it a process or you can't even say it's a process? No, no, it's not. A process. <laughs> like I mean, there's like parameters to many styles of beer. I think with Cezanne, there's the least amount of parameters. You know, like IPA, it's like the, this level of bitterness, this amount of hops, this type of, you know, alcohol percentage. It's not really like that with Cezanne. Um, I always say it's like dry. It's, you know, it shouldn't be sweet. Uh, should be relatively lower in alcohol, although there's outliers on that. Um, and you know, not really overly bitter, overly hoppy, but ah, those are more like hmm. what it's not, not what it is. It's interesting. But Saison, maybe that's why it's my favorite. It's such like a, you know, open book. It flows. It's hard when people say they don't like Saison. I'm like, that doesn't make sense because there's such wide ranging flavors of Saison. I just really don't think you can say that. These days I just want like a crisp lager. Lager beer. Yeah. Like That's that. what I'm going for. All right. Not pumpkin beer. All right. Uh, at Wild Wolfie, how many frames do you need for a queen castle? Oh. All right. So uh, in that in that episode that we talked about recapping last year, we talked about I think the biggest thing, the biggest change we had that was success that led to success was us starting to use queen castles. So. Queen castles for for raising queens. We used to use mini mating nukes, these little, like, literally the size of your hand nuke. Um, And last year we switched over. So what is a queen castle? Queen castle, ours is a 10-frame box. It's divided into three sections. So literally a 10-frame box becomes three three three-frame separate hives. Um, They each have their own entrance. And like I said, they're divided they do each have a little inner cover that you can put feed on top of. So you could have three different jars feeding three different quote unquote hives. Um, but what we'll do is if we have a queen cell that we're not using in a regular hive, we'll take that, uh, that queen cell or that frame with that queen cell, we'll move some bees over into the queen castle and we'll take one frame that has capped brood. You don't want to use eggs. You don't want open eggs. You want capped brood, you know, with a lot of nurse bees on it. Uh, a, a, a queen cell, a frame that has nectar and some pollen on it, and then usually a frame that's just open. Um, and you try to bring over a bunch of bees and you let them raise a new queen. They'll quickly, um, well, we'll we'll do this and we'll like m- literally move them two miles and move them back to so reorient them if, we, if we're keeping them in the same apiary. You have to be a little worried if you move bees and you don't move them two miles, um, they'll just return to their original hive. Nurse bees tend to stand around, but any bees that weren't nurse bees, they're going to bounce back and you may all of a sudden be like, Oh shit, I don't have any bees now. Um, so and that's also why you want, um, capped brood because one eggs, you might not have enough bees for them to like really be able to do their job. And then also you can have like a merging brood and then you'll have new bees to be able to yeah. support this little mini colony. Yeah. That- you don't want them to have to f- feed eggs um and feed because they might not have foragers feed the brood yeah so once they're capped you know they don't need to do anything but just make sure it's warm enough and this is all happening in the warm season um so anyway so that's our queen castle setup 
Um, so how many frames? I mean, the answer is one frame of, of capped brood, one frame with food on it, one open frame. Um, you can do two frames of capped brood if you have enough because they're going to emerge and then that becomes an open frame and you have more bees. But I don't necessarily think it's needed. And it might get too crowded. Yeah. So then we let them, we let that queen emerge. We wait, you know, a week or two. We let her get mated. Um, once we find fresh eggs, I'll take those three frames. I'll move them into a five frame nuke. Let that five frame nuke build up over another week or so or two. And then it's very easy. We've had a very high success rate of merging five frame nukes into full hives using the newspaper method. So, um, yeah, that was just, so, we probably, I think we raised 10 or 11 queens last year doing that. Yeah, that was a constant was cycle. Hugely beneficial. Huge. Having, and with the mini mating nukes, the, once the queen emerged and got mated, it was like clock is ticking. They're not staying in this little tiny box. You have more, um, yeah, you have more leeway in, in the, was... with the three full frames. And there was times where I was like, we don't have anything to do with this. We don't have anywhere to put this queen, but I would just take a frame of her eggs or take a frame of her brood and replace it with empty frames so they had space for her to lay. And then I would use that frame to boost another hive. So yeah, that was that it, was a cool. It's like a resource, big time. Yeah, resource, yeah. resource castle. Um, bu- bu- bu. good question. This one is for you, Kara Joe. So, uh, at pickleball, grandpa, my wife wants me to start a tea garden. Do you have recommendations for a five-ish foot space? So, I'm assuming they mean like a raised bed, garden bed. They probably have like five by five area. Yeah, I'm not sure how big that is in my brain, but these are some good. <laughs> Kara does I'm, not know. I'll be like, Kara, how big is two inches? And she'll be like, this big. And it's like, that's two feet. Yeah, what is that? Like spatially? Mm. Spatial awareness? Yeah, not, well, I don't know. <laughs> I have a disability in that area, I guess. Uh, okay. How tall are you? Five seven. So think about you laying across. That's like that a little more than five feet. Yeah, I don't know that. I would literally have to lay down half and then the look at distance it. to a tent, to a basketball hoop. <laughs> Still, doesn't matter what you give me. All right. So I don't think he's looking for recommendations on like I just, building the thing, but no, like what but like what would fit. Use? So I'm yeah. like, I'll just give you some ideas. But also, I don't know. By the how way, much this really is a fit. question. I don't know where pickleball grandpa is from, but like I would think different regions grow to things better. So we'll just speak on here what we've done, right? Yeah, for sure. I always just want to preface that, you know, you want to know where you're, how do I trust you? Well, first of all, do you know where we're from? Because you can't trust something coming from a Pennsylvania beekeeper if you are just looking for Texas or Florida beekeeping ideas. Yeah, I don't even know what zones these are. I'm going to guess that these are pretty versatile, but um, some easy ones. Lemon balm is easy. Everybody loves lemon balm. Um and it'll like all of these will also flower and be good for pollinators. All of these also um, flower. They have pretty long flowering seasons. Mint, which is good for bees. Yeah, mint we'll is keep but keep mint out of like a raised bed. Grow that in, in a like pot. container. Put it yeah. in a pot. Or it'll, it'll take just, over. Yeah, it'll take over. But mint is so good. Yeah, like mint, any mint, like any mints are good. Uh, Tulsi basil. You can nice. smoke mint. You can smoke a lot of herbs. Yeah, smoking you can smoke mint catnip. actually helps clean out lungs Wallen. which i what was reading about which is crazy you can add that to something else that you're smoking and it's like a really nice almost counter the negative effects of something that you're inhaling hmm. yeah um oh tulsi basil is just such oh, a definitely beautiful tulsi basil. makes me just happy it, it just wants to grow tulsi basil just like kind of pops up 
um, I find that I, I often I'm like, here, Greg, drink this. And he's like, this tastes like dirt. Because I don't even think about like, I just think about what, what's good for me. I'm not thinking about taste. But you could throw Tulsi basil in any tea that you're making and it's going to make it Mint, Mint's good better. like that too. Yeah. But Tulsi just has like this subtle, yeah. different kind of flavor. Um, echinacea, everybody knows about echinacea. Flower, right? Yeah. Um, that's pretty easy. Um, if you get the echinacea purpua, purpua. <laughs> The you're, one you're 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 dropping Latin names uh, on me right now. That's not right, but there's two of them, and the <laughs> purpapua is easier to grow. Purpapua, um, and these all have medicinal effects. Like Tulsi is very calming. Lemon balm is pretty calming. They both kind of help with digestion. Echinacea, everybody knows with immunity. It's got some other things. You also want to think about if you're doing a tea garden. What do you want out of that? Like, yeah, what kind of what tea, kind of are you tea do you want? What do you want? Do you want to be able to sleep? Do you want to be able to digest things? I would love to do be able to sleep. muscle tension? And digest things. So this is cool. California poppy. I find California poppy pretty easy to grow, and it blooms constantly. If you just yeah, pull you just the heads pop, off. Yeah, um, And you can do, you can make tea out of all the aerial parts. So that means like anything that's touching the air. And poppy, everybody knows for its like sedative, kind of nervine, calming um, properties, but it also helps with muscle tension. Oh, all right. Yeah. So who couldn't use some of that? And then calendula, I also think is easy to grow. That's calming. That's nourishing. Beautiful. Will also continue to flower. And uh, at our last property, we grew a lot of calendula and little tiny sweat bees, all different kinds of sweat bees. Pollinators, yeah. Yeah. And then passion flower we're gonna grow this year. It's a vine. It's really rad looking. Yeah, you could probably train that in a container garden to grow. Yeah, up you'd need and, like a trellis. Or, yeah. Do a little trellis action. We'll pick a fence. And um it's just so beautiful. Dude, it's native. Passion flower's rad looking. I can't wait. Yeah, passion flower's cool. Um apparently it's a little finicky from seed but it also like if you get cutting so even if you can just grow one plant it's like easy to you can clone off the cuttings yeah nice and that's really good for anxiety sleep if you're a person that wants can't fall asleep um or like you just lay in bed ruminating thoughts and you can't stop your brain passion flower is a good one for that so i would look at look at your area but like look at what you kind of what do you want out of the tea garden and then yeah. go from there. I think you should, if you've like five foot by five foot space, I think you should grow. I think you should have 25 Bob Ross Chia pet heads. Ooh. I think, I think one every square foot, just a Bob Ross Chia pet. Chia. There's 25 Bob Ross Chia pet fro growing. I think they heads. grow better indoors. So maybe you want to like create that inside. <laughs> one full table. Yeah. Sweet. I'll get on it. Great. Can't I'll wait. wait for the next sale and I'll just buy, you know, 25 of them. Okay. Thank you. Here we go. Uh, I feel like I have a question for you. Ah, uh, here's one. Steve Groob. Favorite breed of chicken. What chicken should Steve get? Oh, what? That's two different questions. All right. He, it was favorite breed of chicken. Okay. Favorite, my favorite breed of chicken is a chicken with a beard. And a muff. And a muff, which 
isn't isn't a dirty word in this circumstance. Muffs are <laughs> their cheeks, their cheek feathers. Yeah, and bearded bearded ladies. Yeah, so they don't have waddles on their face. They just have muffs and beards and they're just so like <laughs> I all day long I'll just sit with a chicken in my lap and rub its beard just like my <laughs> finger. It's so cute. I love them. Um what And that's you? like Americanas. Yeah, Easter Eggers. Easter Eggers. Um what else? My, What's Amy? Is that, she's an Americana? She, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, my answer is a chicken that you got as a, a like a day old. The We saw such a big difference in the chickens we got as day olds, chicks versus, you know, two, three, four week old pullets. They're just so much better. They're just so much like more used to us and like loving towards us. Um, but our OG Rosie was a New Hampshire red and she was such a badass. We didn't get her as a day old, but she was so great and so big and she survived predator attacks and she was prolific layer. And she was pretty so loving. Hardy. Yeah. She was loving. Yeah. She was just always the chillest. Rosie. That's so my question. If, if the question is like, what chicken should I get? I think about like, that just depends on your preference and where you are. If you want a beard to yeah. rub on. Um, a yeah, good variety really, of chickens is good. Having a variety is really nice. They have different personalities. They're good at different things. <laughs> yeah, they really are. It's funny. Oh, they're their own little communist community. I love it. <laughs> cannibal community? Cannibal. Cannibal corpse. Um, next question from B.D. Russell from Baltimore. I want to make lip balm. The recipe calls for extract. Can I use my or somebody else's honey? So what she's making lip balm. Honey extract. Oh, honey said. extract. I've never heard of honey extract. I've heard of dried honey, dehydrated honey, but that's not it. Um, dehydrated honey. What's dehydrated yeah. honey? Um, I just saw a barbecue rub that was all these spices and dehydrated honey. They literally took honey, put it in a dehydrator, flaked it off, pulsed it in a food processor, and it was huh. like a honey dust. And I love the idea. I wonder, I mean, just the nature of honey if you left that dehydrated flaked honey out, I wonder if it would just like grab moisture from there and reconstitute itself and become honey again. Just, I have hmm. no idea, but you know I mean, how it would just be a crystallized. Yeah. I'm just a random thought. Um, what's the, okay. Uh, honey. I don't know what honey extract is. I've seen honey extract. I've seen honey extract in lip balms and like beauty products. Yeah. I don't know what it is. You like learned over time how to incorporate honey into the lip balm and like what to do and how to pour it differently. Cause right. there was a time where I was like, yeah, man, this error. is some like gooey honey in this. Yeah. I was like <laughs> little lip balm top hard coat. And then you stuck a finger in, <laughs> and it was just like oil and honey. <laughs> it tasted delicious. On I know. Lips, like, mm, but it wasn't lip balm. <laughs> but, but you're able to like kind of infuse the honey into the lip balm. Cause it, you can taste that there's a little honey in there. And I but do it's not, it. It's not I, like gooey anymore. Well, yeah. So I do it by taste. And um, and then you you once you get toward the bottom, you have to be really careful how you pour so that you're not getting... Oh, because honey doesn't dissolve into oil. That's what the problem is. So it obviously right, dissolves right, right. into water, but it doesn't dissolve into oil. But you can still get some of it in the in the oil um but it's not all going to go in there so pouring it particularly which you can just like if you just trial and error figure it out and then what i started doing is so at the bottom of my pourer 
there's always extra. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this? And I've just let it sit for a little bit and it's hardened. And then there's this hardened disc of lip balm. Mm -hmm. And I could peel that off, remelt it and pour that. So you get all of it. And then there's just like this kind of slushy honey oil that I just compost. So you can use honey. You just, one, if you like look up a recipe online that's honey lip balm, it's probably going to have be a problem like you're going to have to figure it out for yourself um trial and error yeah big time but you can do it um all right last question from josh davies are you still doing bee venom therapy i get stung so much i hope it's helping somehow <laughs> uh i mean i Beekeepers do have the longest lifespan of any profession. So I think bee stings are helping us. And we go back to, it was like episode like two or three. Um, go back and look, we had, what is apitherapy part one and part two is like really focusing on BVT, bee venom therapy. Um, I did, I, over a year ago, or a little over a year ago, I tore uh, ligaments in my ankle. I was literally doing an every other day sting bee venom therapy. I built up from one or two stings up to like nine in the one ankle. Um, and I was doing that every day or two for about six weeks, um, maybe four weeks. And yeah, you never really know if it's helping. I did. I've done it on my knee a few different times. Like I'll just have like really achy knee pain and I'll, I'll do some sting therapy on it and it really helps, but I don't, I'm not doing it every week anymore. I think that's proof. I don't know about your ankle, but your knee was, in bad shape and I never hear you talk about your knee anymore. I don't My knee hurts hurting me right now. Well, we should go out there and grab <laughs> I some bees. I got back into the gym to play some basketball this week and uh who baby do my knees hurt? But it's like a good hurt. Yeah. It's not like a injury hurt. Okay. But yeah, I think I think doing bee venom therapy on my knee really cleared up a lot of scar tissue years Is, ago when that's I what first it does. did it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have this little hip chronic problem and I wanna I can't do it too much, but because I developed an allergy, um, but I would like to sting well, when myself there. you do there. maintenance stings, you should do them in that hip. I know. I do them in my left arm, but I should just do them in my left hip. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, a lot of folks, I mean, I think the more common use for, B, for BBT is Lyme disease. And I got bit by a deer tick. Remember? I got, yeah, I think I we found, talked about that. I found a deer tick lodged in my uh, in my side, and yeah, we talked about it last episode, I think. And yeah, because we, we talked about me digging it out. Yeah, <laughs> so gnarly. But I uh, I stung that site two or three times every day for a week. Um, after hearing a, a person do a talk on um, on the like countering the effects of of deer tick bite that had did form into a bullseye rash, and she was able to sting that site over and over, and never developed actual Lyme disease. Um, I didn't develop a bullseye rash. It's like a very red rash from digging it out of my skin. Oh, let's not talk about but, it. But uh, but I didn't get Lyme, and no, that was worth it for me. It was just like pre preemptive, proactive. I think you just need to be careful. You just need to be careful. Yeah. Of stinging yourself too much, too soon, too fast, because it can cause problems. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we did have somebody ask about pizza. Oh. But I don't have I don't have like my. I don't know, a doughboy recipe book, but they're asking what, what recipe we use for pizza dough. You know what? I, here's the easiest way. We have an uni, so one of those um, wood fire uni pizza ovens. It's a little outside, like portable, John. It's so great. Um, 
and we I used the recipe from Uni's website. They have like a ton of recipes on there for dough, and I just play around with it. Like, uh, so we, you know, the hydration, they, they list all everything to do little tips. I have though, get double O flour. So double O is like finely ground flour. It's, it's even oftentimes referred to as pizza flour or pizza dough flour. Um, is and there then, a brand that you like specifically of that? King Arthur, just because I, I respect oh. with King Arthur, but Caputo is the Italian flour that's kind of known as the one to use. Gotcha. Even the yeast, if you're not using sourdough, even the yeast, Caputo has a, a Saccharomyces strain that is really great for uni style, which is Neapolitan style pizza. It's like thin crust, high heat. Um, I want us to make some Detroit style pizza. Oh, I love Detroit style. That's my favorite. Um, but yeah, and then a friend of ours... Um, actually, shout out Mike Landers, mixologist Mike Landers. He, we had a podcast with him, yeah, a B-side podcast. The B-side on cocktails. Um, but Mike's friend came into town. He was uh, he had a pizza shop up in, I think it was in Boston. And he gave me um, a sourdough starter from his culture that he'd been using for years. That I, man, I wish I had written down how he developed it because it was a very cool process. But I use his sourdough now in dough recipes. Um and it's cool. You get this like tangy little, you know, cool flavor coming out of it and find a local flour mill. Um, we introduce, we use that, that double O pizza flour, but then we also are introduced in like bolted rye, we, castle Valley, is it castle Valley, yeah, castle, castle mill, Valley. castle Valley mill mill, um, is like OG stone ground. And we use a bolted rye from them and a spelt, flour from them and it's just like really cool flavors we get from those and textures yeah so good so that's pretty cool yeah we've been doing that a lot um anything else you got yeah i had like a cool herbal oh yeah we started a couple episodes ago kara's herb corner so kara's in this herbalism course a two-year course with dr david winston david winston i don't think he's a doctor Oh yeah, David Winston. <laughs> uh, I'm so used to all the speakers and stuff are always doctors, and I feel like I'm supposed to say doctor to them. Whatever. He's just he's a yeah, but it, legit long time herbalist, really rad herbalist course. So she's always learning these cool things, and just like she'll tell me, and I'm like, oh, we should talk about that on the podcast. So yeah, what do you got this week? So or month or whatever. Yeah, um, just okay. So milkweed. I think probably everybody knows milkweed. Um, because of monarch butterflies yeah monarch butterflies and the caterpillar they lay their eggs there and they serve the caterpillar survives on eating the leaves of the milkweed and it contains um like glycosides that are toxins guh with a g glycosides glycosides. it doesn't really matter what it is but um they're toxins that the cat the the monarch caterpillars have like co-evolved with so it's not toxic to them and as they eat they build up these toxins which makes the butterflies themselves like distasteful and toxic to predators wow yeah and um oh that's total co-evolution stuff is pretty nuts and rad to me well so and then get a load of this some predators have co-evolved with the monarchs to not really be affected by these toxins like some birds like some mexican birds because the flight pattern flight path yeah of the monarchs go down to mexico um so they can eat them or they can eat them but they can't eat too many of them wow yeah regulate themselves 
But so then there was what last year that whole um, spotted. spotted lantern fly. If they eat the milkweed, they die. And everybody's like, "That's not true." And then they found out. Oh wait, it is true. Plant milkweed. And because so, these spotted lantern flies just go and ravage everything. And they found that when they got into a patch of milkweed, they collapsed and died. And so do other insects. Other yep. insects can't eat milkweed but for those the other, same reason. But those other insects co-evolved with milkweed many of them so they, so they know don't. to they know to avoid it right but you get this outside species Introduced, comes in yeah boom you have this native plant they just decimate everything and you know so a couple good reasons to plant milkweed and all you gotta do is spread seeds you don't need to really do much you just need to make sure that you're buying the right milkweed for the right environment that you're yeah like swamp milkweed really wet environment yeah 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 there's a so. there's like a ton of different types of milkweed but just like another, that's why you want to plant na- plant native plants because of coevolution. That's cool. We talked about that in a different podcast. Yeah. Um, if you've listened this far, you are a rock star. Please head on over and thanks to the, the, all the folks that have ordered Carajo. I a lot of times I'll uh, when we get a new customer, I'll like go on Carajo Skincare instagram or carajo bee farm instagram and look the name and be like oh this is a listener mind your hives like oh this person follows mind your hives that's fun um so it's been pretty cool we've gotten a lot of new business i i hope maybe the one thing we're getting out of the few thousand people that listen to this is some new customers yeah but go to carajo skincare.com uh care with a k joe just j-o um, carajoskincare.com. We've got honey for sale on there. We, we break it down seasonally. We just cracked the last of our spring honey. So it's actually running out pretty quickly. Um, a ton of, uh, different items made with our honey and with our beeswax propolis product coming soon. Shampoo bar. So awesome. Don't use plastic shampoo bottles anymore. Get shampoo bars. It's like easier and better. And even if you've used shampoo bars in the ba- past and you haven't liked them, Give us Check a try. Yeah. Um, we are starting to infuse a lot of oils and herbs to make our famous bug repellent. Bug repellent. One of our bug repellent and our deodorant being two of our biggest selling items because they have to work and you know when they don't work and they work. And the bug repellent is so good for your skin. You can use it on your face. So spring is approaching, bugs are approaching. Check out Carajo Skincare for all of your bug repellent needs. Holler. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate y'all. Bye. Bye.